Lord, we are so thankful that we have the opportunity to partner with work that is going on there, and we pray that today uh, would be a, a really effective day uh, where um, people are getting clean water, and uh, you are giving uh, Steve and uh, Jenny and his medical team the opportunity to uh, help and bring healing to um, people that need it. Help them find their way to him today for that. Uh, Lord, what, a, what an opportunity he has. And so we pray that uh, today he will be saving lives uh, doing that. And we pray that our team loves well these people who are just there to do a good thing and they recognize that you are a good God in the middle of it and, uh, and they want to know what is moving in the hearts of our people there. So Lord, bless them, protect them, and bring them home safely in Jesus' name. Amen. I just love being able to participate in that kind of stuff and to have a church that does that. And uh, that's our third or fourth one there. Many of you have been on that trip and uh, know what they're doing and what it's all about. I say, you know, our vision is love God and love people. <clears throat> you probably heard me say this many times. You can't love people if you don't know people. And you probably won't know people if you don't go to people. And so uh, you got to go there or go here. Maybe it's just across the street or just to your neighbor uh, or to the person in the cubicle next to you. But to love people, you have to go to them. So I'm so proud of them. And I'm proud of what's happening in this church as we're starting to get that, starting to get traction here. And uh, we're starting to love God and love people well. Uh, actually, this portion of Scripture we're going to talk about today uh, speaks to that a bit. Uh, I've entitled this sermon, What Are You Doing? You know, and I think everybody in this text is asking that in some way. And they got different inflections. Uh, the people who are in this Bible, in this, not story, but this event, some are saying, what are you doing? Others are saying, what are you doing? And uh, uh, I'm not sure anybody actually knows what they're doing other than one guy in the story. Um, but you're going to find out that sometimes you've got to take out the trash if you're going to sit down and relax. Sometimes you've got to clean up before you can actually learn something, and that's right in here. Turn to Luke 19. Man, we have been building up to this for a long time, and now we are in the week, the trajectory uh, of the last part of this thing, and Jesus has just ridden into town, and, uh, oh, I saved my place. That is page 733, if you're looking it up in your ministry center Bible. Just four verses is all we're doing today, but I think it's fairly profound and very poignant about what it says. Uh, it says in verse 45, when Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. 47, every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people uh, were trying to kill him, yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. So Jesus, you got this Jesus here, and he is uh, going into the temple and drives out those who were selling there. Now, um, it's in four versions of the gospel, and so we get some nuances of different parts of this thing. But Jesus actually, in John it says, he takes some cords, he makes a whip, and he drives these people and these animals out of the temple. Now this might be messing with your Jesus because as we've been working this thing, we have found him to be meek and mild, suffer the little children to come to me. All those of you who are heavy laden, have a burden, come to me. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What is this all about here? 
This is the only act of violence that we ever see Jesus do. And, uh, and what is going on? It says he drove them out. We can even tell some of the emotion in that by what he says. You have made my house. My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. This is not a neutral moment, okay? Uh, I want to give you a picture of Jesus who is really intentional and really intense, and he's expressing his emotions in this thing. Now, we have been working on this all along, that we got Jesus who is completely God and completely man, and I think that we have had the hardest time coming to grips with his humanity over, over the course of our, our two years. And here, we have Jesus emoting, getting upset, getting angry, yelling even, I think, taking a whip and driving out uh, these people in the temple. And uh, so, I don't know if that... I just felt like as we were looking at that, that most people would go, God, that Jesus isn't, that's the Jesus I'm not so sure I'm into. One that would do something like that, that would express himself like that. Is Jesus having a tantrum? I mean, you know, like a tantrum, I've, I just can't stand it no more. Sort of the, the Popeye thing. If you're over 50, you know, you eat back in the day on Saturday morning when cartoons instead of 24-7, and you'd watch Popeye, this little skinny guy, and he had his olive oil, and olive oil would get in trouble. And then finally, he just, I can't stand it no more, and he'd take his spinach, and he'd eat his, get up, and just take care of business. Jesus is putting the Popeye on here. and said, I can't stand it no more. I mean, what's he doing here? I think, I think here is a time where he is saying, this is not supposed to happen. Jesus is expressing anger here, maybe. And I've always, I've always looked at this scripture over the years as a evidence that so, there is possible, apparently at the right time, in the right way, to express anger without it being wrong. Um, Ephesians even says that um, sin, uh, in your anger, don't sin. So apparently there's some way of being angry without sinning. I'm going to be honest with you, though. Well, most of my experience of expressing anger probably doesn't represent that. I haven't dialed into it quite yet. Uh, usually, I got some flesh attached to it, and so when I, when I get to this, I'm going, ah, oh, I don't know how to do it, Lord. Um, apparently, you do. Um, and there are things, I think, that Jesus says. Enough is enough. And if you want to know what he just, uh, if you look at the book of Luke, even about the poor, and what happens to the, to the poor through all that, uh, so Jesus, I don't think he's throwing a tantrum, though. I, I do want to give you room to let Jesus have some emotions. Because if Jesus is sterile, has no emotions at all, just deadpan, then he's inaccessible to you and I who are not that way. And if he is over-emotional, uh, you know, having tantrums and things like that, you can't have a God that's having tantrums, can you? Uh, no, there's something else going on here. But I do think you have to give some room uh, for a Jesus that is angry at something like this. Something is wrong here, and he is taking care of it. Now, for us guys, we kind of like this part. Finally, taking care of some business, opening up a can. Jesus, my man, he's buff, I bet. Got some guns on him right now. Let's see, is that what's going on? Actually, i got to tell you, after that whole bit, I do think there's some intensity in the words he says, you've made my house, it's supposed to be a house of prayer, and you made it into a den of robbers. I do think there's some intense emotion around that, but actually it doesn't even say anywhere in this account or any of the others that he was actually angry as he did that. I just wanted to give you some room to let him be a person too. Uh, actually, I think what he's doing is very intentional, 
and a messianic, uh, a messianic action. So he comes into town last week, right? Well, literally within the days, he came in yesterday, Sunday, and it's Monday today in the scripture right here. And so Monday, where does he go first? He goes to the temple. All four accounts give him going to the temple. See, he rode in, if you recall Daniel's message uh, three weeks ago, he rode in as king, not a conquering king because he'd have come in the other direction. He rode in as a messianic king to bring salvation to his people, right? Remember that message? Well, where does he go first? He goes first to the temple. The temple is the cultural center of all of Israel. Everything revolves around that. All the ideas and institutions come together there, and the best practices about what it means to be Jewish are right there. And he comes, and he goes in, and the very first thing he does as king of the temple, as the incoming king, is to clear it out, saying, what are you doing here? What are you doing? And I think the people who are getting thrown out are going, what are you doing? And the disciples are looking at him, oh my goodness, what are you doing? This is going to go bad. And he may have gotten himself killed just right here in this part. Because the next chapter we know he says, they all say to him, by what authority do you do these things? Well, he just said right there, my house. It is written, my house. That's from Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. And it's really interesting uh, what that verse is right there. It says, my house will be a house of prayer. And then he doesn't finish the, the verse. Jesus doesn't quote the whole verse. because, And I think it's intended that way so that when you hear it, well, we don't because we don't know Isaiah like they would know at the temple there and the Jews there. So we go, oh, house of prayer. Well, they should be praying and doing their thing. Well, it's actually the last phrase, I think, when he says, my house will be a house of prayer, everybody who hears that will fill in the last part. It's a communicating device. And the last part is, for the nations. That's really helpful to understand what Jesus is doing here right now in the temple. My house will be a house of prayer for the nations. That's super significant. Okay, what's going on? Jesus, it says, it says he walks into the courts. Jesus entered the temple courts. Even the architecture of the temple is, uh, communicates the values and the vision that God had for his people. There is a holy of holy places. There's a, the next layer out where the sacrifices are made. And then there's the courts, and it's called the courts of the Gentiles. Okay, so he enters the courts of the Gentiles, and he throws all of these uh, people who are selling animals and changing money out of there and says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. Prayer for the, pe the nations. It means all peoples. All peoples, something has been really lost. Now, Jesus is not uh, upset about the sacrifices. He's not even upset about the, the temple tax, that, which is what they're collecting, exchanging the money for. You can only give silver for your temple tax, and so they were changing their copper coins in for silver. That's all functionally happening. He's not actually saying that he'll take care of that sacrifice thing on Friday. But today, he's not talking about what is happening in the courts of the Gentiles has caused him to to react this way because it's supposed to be a place where the Gentiles, that's why it's called that, could come. All along, the, the, all the other people who aren't Jews are supposed to be able to come here and pray and encounter God. And that is an impossibility with what's going on in this event right here. 
Okay, so let's get an idea. This is Passover, right? And Passover, tens of thousands of people are coming to Jerusalem and the temple. And a part of Passover is getting an animal. And that animal gets sacrificed as a part of Passover. It's a huge, massive operation, ordeal. Thousands, tens of thousands of animals. And, I, I, and, and what's, what's happening is that all that commerce is happening right where the Gentiles are supposed to be able to come in. Now, why is this so significant? If he's king of the Jews and king of the temple, he needs to reestablish what this was all for. Do you realize that God created a tribe called the Jews and they, his people, what were they for? Why did he do that? So that they could be set apart? So they could be, uh, well, I'm setting you up. No, of course not. The, the whole reason was that they would be a blessing to all peoples. It was going to be a tribe that reached all the tribes. That was from the get-go. That was part of the Abrahamic promise. That was part of the whole thing. It never happened. It never happened. They always got internal and took care of themselves. All along the way. You never see, really. They did preserve. Um, give, them, give them some kudos for preserving the messianic line so that Jesus could be born. But they never did reach out. They never did become that good news and bring shalom and Sabbath rest and the truth that God loves them and they can love one another of Shema and all that. That never did happen. So, you're here, you've got, it's Passover, Jesus is showing up, and there's all of this stuff going on in the, uh, the courts of the Gentiles. And Jesus shows up and he kicks that out. And he says, that can't happen because you have lost your way. You've had mission drift. You know, mission drift, this is what you're supposed to be doing. And somehow or other, now this is what you're doing. None of them even know that. None of, if you were, if, when he walks in there and he starts uh, driving them out, what are they thinking? All the people are thinking, this guy's insane. This guy's a radical. This guy, you should, we should drive him out. Why? Well, when I think of these money changers and stuff, uh, and, and uh, the people who are, are in the temple courts facilitating all of this, I, I have always had an image of that guy, um, oh, Alfred, in uh, the, the last Hobbit movie. Um, those of you who saw that, you know what I'm talking about. He's the grossest guy ever because all he's doing is taking money from children and, and, and he's, just, he's just the worst. They've built that character so you hate him. And he's just, oh, this is the worst. And you look at these guys in here like these, oh, can you believe those guys? They're just the yuckiest people ever. Probably not. Probably not at all. What, if you were to ask them what they were doing, they would say, we are facilitating worship for God's people. If you ask them what they're, if you're changing them, we're saying, we're, we're making it possible so that they can worship, so that they can do what God has called them to do. They would have even told you they were in the sweet spot of what God is doing. Most of them were agricultural people who had brought their animals to sell. You see, you didn't come to Passover and, and bring your animal all along with you from whatever town you came from. That's probably how it should have gone, so that the whole time you're thinking about what you're doing. These guys had made it convenient so you can show up with your money, pay your money, they'll take care of it for you, and it'll happen for you. 
Matter of fact, in some ways, they're over-functioning so that the people aren't actually worshiping at the level of sacrifice that they should. It didn't mean, take your money, bring your money, change your money, and they've got it easy. And, and, and give them some slack here because what would you do if you had tens of thousands of animals that needed to be sacrificed and, and tens of thousands of people that are trying to figure it out? And, and you can hear, I can just imagine, I don't know if it was that generation or if it was all the way back generations before where they're saying, there is no room for all of this out in the streets. And there's all this room out here in the courts of the Gentiles. So what we'll do, why don't we just try it one time? We'll just try it one time, see if it works. And um, we'll you know, bring them in and, uh, and then we'll just evaluate afterwards to see how it is. Somebody might have said, actually, I think that's for the, the Gentiles there. Ah, just one time, give it a shot. Let's see. I don't know how it happened, but these were good people doing a good thing. And Jesus says, it's a den of robbers. I wonder how they took that. Well, we didn't take it, took it, take it too well, I don't think. But I, I, I guess what I wanted to point out to you is what's happening here is what could happen to anybody. It could happen to anybody. You can be so into such a good thing that you're completely off course. Just because it's a good thing doesn't mean it's a God thing, right? I mean, these people are facilitating, um, I don't know, church for a lot of people. And Jesus says, wait, time out. You've lost your focus. You're not re- this was all supposed to be going out, not coming in. It was all supposed to be about bringing people, breaking down the barriers. And you've set them up. There's, no, there's not even room. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, we're good with that. But there's not even room for them. You've made no room for these people. And I guess if I were a Gentile, I probably wouldn't have gone there anyway. Why would I want to be around there? There's no... All I am is on the outside. Think of the messages that are being communicated. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. Uh, it's a broader word than prayer. It's worship, a house of worship for the nations. I just think that's so powerful in this thing. And Jesus is reestablishing what it's for. Matter of fact, he is reestablishing what the, or, or, or reframing what the temple's going to even be. In John 2, they tell him, they, 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 they confront him and he says, uh, you tear this temple down and in three days I'll build it back up. He's talking about what's going to be the temple now. It's going to be him. And then it's going to be you and I. It's going to be completely changed. Why? Because it's going to be a house of prayer for the nations. I think that's, I think that's so powerful. And the reality is that I think underneath this is so hard is that it's very, very natural to drift away from what God has called you to do and then call it God. And then, and then look at your activity and go, that was good, it's good, and that's God. And activity really can't take the place of a, of a real heart for God. And so he tips those tables over. He comes and he tips those tables over and says, you can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm the king of the temple. And that's not going to go anymore. I've got to let that go. You know, we've been, I told you last week, I was going to tell you something in the life of the church uh, uh, that's different. Well, I think Jesus is t- turning some t- tables over even in our own midst. You see, because that call uh, of, of what are you doing goes out uh, not only to those people at this time, it goes through to every church and person. What, what are you doing? 
What are you doing? And, uh, you know, we become, um, we, we have this gathering center out here. Many of you are new and you don't know the, the history of, this, of the gathering center. It's about the neatest place on the planet. And I mean, well, one of the neatest places in, in the valley anyway. And uh, uh, we have, uh, oh, we've done some neat stuff in the gathering center. I'm so proud of so much of what we have done in the gathering center. And, you know, we finished this building here uh, that you're in and there was a little uh, foyer out there. Uh, in 2004, and then some generous uh, folks um, gave us the opportunity to um, build something that fit our vision. That was the project we were on back then. And uh, uh, we were building, uh, well, what, what were our core values at that time? Relational discipleship. We, had, we got a team together, and we went to the architect and said uh, to the architect, we, need a, we want a space uh, where people can gather and they'll hang out like two or three, uh, where they can, they can connect uh, and, and, and relationally um, disciple one another. And it would just naturally happen. And so they did that. They made that, that big, beautiful uh, tile thing down to the, the uh, fireplace. There were, fi- there were uh, living rooms on the side and chairs on the side. And the idea was, uh, it was the best thinking about how to make it so people would disperse through there and hang together because that's where real transformation happens. I hope you respond to this sermon, but it really happens when you talk to you, your friend. And that's what we, we believed back then. And then we also knew that, um, you know, we didn't build a, a, a gym out there or a Quonset hut so that we could have church potlucks. Uh, it's an expression of God's extravagant love for us and this community. Remember that part? Uh, so it's not just a normal place. It's a beautiful place where people can encounter something that's way beyond what uh, they, have, they think God is all about. And so we knew that this wasn't just for us and our potlucks. Remember that part? Those are, that it was for the community, and so it was going to be uh, an opportunity for us to connect with the community. And they would come because they would love this place and they would feel uh, something, something in it and we'd be able to relationally connect. Well, gosh, there is no other venue like that anywhere, really, uh, from, from Aspen on down. And so uh, people are going to want to use it. And if people are going to use it, uh, man, this is going to bury Teresa in the office trying to figure that out. We're going to need some help. We need to get somebody who uh, like knows how to do this sort of stuff, like a, a director for this thing. And uh, we were we were envisioning visiting uh, you know coffee shop and gathering and people showing up and hanging. And uh, uh, but some some events and organizations are going to want to use it, right? So we need somebody who knows how to do that. Oh well, okay. Um, so um, how are we going to pay for that? Because, uh, you, you know, you've got to pay for that. The person who can do that is forty-five to $60,000, and uh, there'll be some other expenses. Well, you know what? Uh, we're not trying to make money. We never have been trying to make money. We're trying to serve the community. We can charge, and uh, they'll get a great value, and um, we need to make, make enough money to pay for the director. Right? And, and so that's not a bad idea. It was my idea actually. Uh, nobody, nobody else's. Um, I'm taking complete ownership for that. And so what will we do? Well, we'll 
uh, we'll give these people who are using our facility the opportunity to see what a church is like that can do this. And we'll, we'll give them an experience uh, where uh, they get to be in our house and do their thing, and we'll, we'll take care of them and love on them uh, as they're using it. And they have used it, haven't they? Uh, Melissa tells me there were 14,000 people who came through the gathering center last year. That's 14,000 people who walked through this place. And quite frankly, I believe that uh, the majority of all those people, I don't know of anybody not, the majority of those people had a great experience, a great encounter, uh, and their events were good. And they, uh, we, it must be that way because they keep coming back. They, well, one of the reasons they keep coming back, there is no other venue like this where you can do this. So these massive events happen here, and, uh, and they pay us money, and, and uh, Melissa and her team works harder than ever, and they leave having a great experience. Only thing is, I think Jesus is tipping the table over on that thing. He's tipping the table over on that and saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? It's become the tail that wags the dog. And now everything's set up for an event, and nobody comes to hang. Party lights are up. It's a cool place to have your event, but, but uh, nobody shows up to do anything else. Because you couldn't, because it's set up days in advance, because these events are huge. That we, and, and we have people going all over the valley right now who've been to one of these events, and they think we're cool, which I like. I kind of think, I think that, I love that, by the way, because, I mean, uh, all the other churches, the pastors are my buddies, and I'm not throwing them under the bus, but I kind of like that we do stuff that they don't do. You know what I mean? I, I kind of, yeah. Nobody's taking risks like that. Only problem is, Jesus is turning that temple, turning that table, maybe the temple too, the table over. He's saying, what are you doing? You've turned this into a transaction. You've lost the relationship because the fact is, us are not serving them. They are paying you to give them a good experience. Now, this is not a guilt trip for all you people. Hey, you need to come out here and start working in advance. I just think the fact is you're all working. You all are very busy. And God may not be calling you to go over there and do events for people. Somewhere along the way, because of practical reasons, reasons that we needed to, isn't that a, I tried to give you a natural flow. Sounded pretty good, didn't it? Well, what we'll do is we'll get this, and then we'll do that. And then out of that, we'll do this. And sure enough, it worked, much to our, our detriment. Because there's not only 14,000, there's thousands of people who have encountered this place and don't know anything about what we're about. Matter of fact, they come here and they want to cover over the cross. Now, I'm not saying that we can't cover over the cross um, because if you do that, we're all this, I don't know, maybe Jesus would go, what? Uh, or he probably would go, I'm not about the cross, but why? Man, that must really be offensive to people. That you gotta, you gotta cover, you can't do your event in this place because there's a cross. Well, let's act like it's not there. Well, I don't know. We got into all that kind of stuff because we became so about their event and we kind of lost the heart. I think he's turning turning the tables over on that and saying, what are you doing? That's not what I gave this to you for. Matter of fact, I want you to go out just like the the, the temple here. I want you to go out. I want you to be a people who go out. 
not tell everybody they're supposed to come here. We should be everywhere out there. We should be given snow cones at First Friday. We should be in the parade uh, at Strawberry Days. And we should be at every level of community life that, that is all the way down to the most messy problems that people are experiencing. That's where we should be. And that may not be as cool, but that is real life loving God and loving people. You can't love people if you don't know people. And you gotta go people to know, two people to know people. And so, um, as cool as this thing has been, we're going to stop it. We're gonna, I mean, if, what are you gonna, we have a choice. If Jesus is turning the, temple, the table over, are you going to pick up the table, put your money back on the table, and start, start um, making transactions again? No, I'm not. Thank you, Jesus, for turning that table over. Thank you, Jesus. For, now, I know you're thinking, um, because a bunch of you have told me already. What's the community going to do with this? What's the community going to think about this? Oh, no. The community's going to feel let down about this. You know who's going to feel let down about this? Event organizers. Event organizers got a real problem ahead of them because there's, there's not a facility. And I'm not even saying that there won't be events. Uh, there might be. I don't have a vision for the gathering center. I have a vision for this church, and the gathering center is a resource to accomplish that vision. It's not something that has its own vision. I feel pretty strongly about that. So what does that mean? That means what is on your heart? What has God called you to do? It may, that is a resource for you. Okay, so uh, I, this is a hypothetical. I'm not saying you have to do this. I just was thinking of different things that could happen, just so I could give you a little bit on this. Let's say Ducks Unlimited. I got some people here. Glenn, are you in the house? He, I thought he was. Uh, I think I refer to you as Mr. Ducks Unlimited. He's on that committee and a couple other people like Ed and Corey. That is a great event that happens here first uh, Saturday of March. Uh, hun- I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people raising money for conservation. And it's, a, it's, a, oh, it's really a cool event. And uh, uh, they get it on the calendar, call Melissa, and they work for months and Melissa f- facilitates that, and it's a huge event here. Well, I'm saying, what would it look like if we gave it away? Well, uh, they call up and they say, can we use your, they're not doing this, I'm just using this as an example, okay? They call up and say, we'd like to do our event first, uh, first Saturday of March. Uh, hey, oh, great. Actually, um, that's not our mission anymore. We're not actually doing uh, events as a part of uh, uh, our strategy, but you know, is there anybody in your organization that um, maybe is a part of the orchard? And it could be an opportunity for them to express our vision in serving you in relationship, and they could, they could do that event for you. And then we could come alongside them and help them. Like, Glenn, hey, how about you want to you do this event for your people? Because then after the event is done, instead of transaction, did they like it or not like it? And we got some money, they feel good, and they got money for, that they were trying to raise. Instead of that, now it's uh, as they go through the rest of the year, they're doing it with people who served them. Because we were supposed to love God and love people, and to do that, you got to hang with people. That wasn't happening in the transaction. So uh, I could see equipping people to do something like that. 
And I could see like a hundred other things that could happen there. But the, the sky's the limit, literally, on what he would have you do as a resource here. I was just making that up, because I'm not saying there couldn't be an event, but I'm saying it needs to be in relationship instead of transaction. I'm also not saying, don't hear me, that the Girl Scouts, the Girl Scouts can't sell their cookies out there after church. If you think that this is a policy, you're missing what Jesus is doing. What he's doing is, I'm turning the tables over in your heart so that you can follow me. Now, I know that about 80% of you or 90% of you could care less about this because you don't have anything to do with events and you don't, but it's just a part of the life of our church. It's a significant part of the direction of our church. And if you hear anything, I want you to hear that we are going to follow God, love people, and uh, sometimes that requires adjustment and getting back to what he called us to do. So you're asking two things. If, if I'm you and I'm sitting there, Glenn, I was talking about you while you were gone. Good. Yep. <laughs> you didn't know this, but you're facilitating Ducks Unlimited uh, this year. Yeah. Yeah. Check. Um, so there's two things that would be on my mind if I'm you. Okay, he just said um, you're giving up. Fifty to $70,000 worth of income. And i got to tell you, I would rather follow Jesus and where he's leading than stick with a plan that works out financially. And I know what you're saying. We've, we've had to cut back before. Remember this back in the day? Cut $140,000 out of the budget four years ago. Woo! Actually, that's not the direction we're taking. We're not going to increase it. But actually, we're redirecting it. Um, Melissa, who's been all about this, is going to be all about that and helping us move out. And so, uh, yes, I'm saying, I'd rather trust God and ask you to, to be generous instead of, at, uh, instead of taking people's money for that transaction. Worship God with what you've got, and um, we believe that this is not, this is, we're never gonna look back on that. The other thing I'd be asking if I were you, what happens to Melissa, and what do you think about this, because you're gonna get inundated by everybody after this, so I'm giving Melissa the mic for a sec. We've been, we've been working this thing, haven't we? We have been. You know what, actually, I'm very excited. Um, for those who've been kind of in the loop early with um, kind of knowing what, what's coming and what's going on, I am super excited to take the vision out there to partner with you guys with what's going on um, out there. So I'm good. I'm excited. I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens. Yeah. I wanted to give you an opportunity to say that. And now they're going to ask you if you really meant that. Um, and if I, if I, uh, oh, they turn, turn her back on. She got something else to say. <laughs> okay. All right. What I heard from uh, Melissa as Daniel and Melissa have been working on this for months is I'd rather be a part of the direction of this church than doing a great job providing events for people. And so we're going to shift that and change that. And I believe that God is going to bless that. And I believe that we're responding I am thankful when he tips the tables over. Now, there's something interesting in this text right here. Um, yes, I wanted to tell you that, but there's something that Jesus asks in your direction, I think. Um, let me just give you another thought that has applied uh, to my life and I believe to yours. It says, my house will be a house of prayer for the nations. We're supposed to be going out, but you've made it a den of robbers. And then in verse 47... It says, every day he was teaching at the temple. So he comes in. I want you to see the order of this thing. He comes in. 
He cleans up the place. And then it says, every day he was teaching at the temple. Now, uh, in, your, in your ministry Bible, it changes paragraphs right there. But in the Greek, there's a, an and, a chi is, is the word, which connects what he just did with what he's now doing. And if Jesus is shifting uh, the temple from this place, because by the way, this isn't the temple either. The temple's wherever you are at. This is just a resource. What he does is he tips the tables over, takes out the trash, and then says, sit down with me and let me teach you. The and is a connected thing. It's both. He cleans it out and then he teaches. That's how he does it for you and me. He does it for us as an as a institution, but that's how he does it for you and I. He tips the tables over in our own heart and then he says, come and follow me. Listen to what I have for you. I have something good I want to teach you. Sit at my feet. I have a feeling that these money changers and people who were there, some of them, I mean, how did they respond? Some of them said, oh, pick up their stuff and start doing transactions again because they, they don't have much time uh, to make the money they need for the season. Others were re- totally rejected, said, I want nothing to do with you. By what authority do you say these things and do these things? Some said, uh, when he tipped the tables over, let me think about what that was all about. Uh, let me think. What is, you know what happens when we say, let me think about it? We think about it and don't do anything about it. And then we live with cognitive dissonance where we believe one thing and act on another. And uh, I'm not sure thinking about it for so long really changes me. Some, I believe, probably took their animals outside, maybe gave them to somebody else, and came back and sat at his feet and listened to his teaching. I'll bet it happened. I'll bet you there were some who heard it that way. And I, and I was like, Lord, help me, help me illustrate this. Help me understand how, how this works. And I was, uh, a couple weeks ago, um, I'm the executive, not too many more mom stories, but a few more, because I'm in that zone. Um, I'm the executor of my mom's estate, and I've been uh, uh, trying to get the house ready for people to move in. We sold it, and uh, my mom actually didn't have much trash. She got rid of all that and only kept stuff that was meaning, meaningful to her, but I'm still not, I don't have time, I didn't have time to process the stuff, to take it and give it away or sell it. We didn't, couldn't do that. I was taking stuff to the dump that was perfectly good stuff. I just didn't have time. We had to get this stuff out, and uh, so I'm driving trip after trip to the dump. I did probably six or seven. And I'm, and, and I'm driving the last time to the to the, to the uh, dump in Mesa County, Mesa County landfill. And uh, it's this massive pile, so maybe a few of you have been there, massive mountain, and there are these switchbacks going up to the top of this thing, and up at the top, you take your truck and then you dump your trash out and your stuff, and I'm driving up those switchbacks. I don't like the dump at all. Especially now, it's like uh, kind of, uh, not. I can't wait to get out of here. I remember taking my daughter uh, years ago to the dump, and she just cried, Dad, look what they're doing. And then she became an environmental health specialist, and so <laughs> getting her master's degree in environmental policy, I don't know. Don't take your kids to the dump, I guess is the word on that. And uh, I, uh, I'm driving up those switchbacks, and I just get this impression, pay attention, I have something for you here. Pay attention, I've got something for you. And I, uh, um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what it is, 
And I realized, you know, I, I bought my first house in uh, Grand Junction 30 years ago or whatever it was. And uh, uh, back then, I took tons of loads to the dump. And I had this impression, you know, my stuff, I got stuff all the way down there at the bottom. And I'm driving now over that, that stuff. And uh, I asked the lady on my way out, so how much, how far does that trash go down? She goes, I've been here 13 years and it's gone up 250 feet. That's a lot. And I was there 15 years before that, so somewhere hundreds of feet down uh, are things that I left. And God, I just felt God's impression. Uh, yeah, you've dumped some things and it's been buried and gone. And now you're bringing more things. In a way, I could see that Jesus turns the t- tables over and then takes the stuff to the trash and he buries it. And I had this joy in realizing what he's done in my life at various times. I've taken things, released them to him, he's changed them, and I've sat down, God is teaching, like it says right there, and, and he changed me. And you can leave things at the dump and they're way down there. I don't know, that is like really good news. It would be really tragic to have trash or issues in your life, or relational things that are damaging to you and other people, and leave them around. Jesus on the cross died for that. And then he says, I want to be with you. I want to teach you. Give it to me. Let me take it and bury it. I got this picture of stuff from long ago that, I'm, that I gave him, and, uh, uh, and stuff just now, too. You get to give stuff to him. He's tipping the tables over, not because he's mad at you, because he loves you. I was walking just a minute ago before church. Lord, is there anything else you want to tell me about this? And things started popping into my mind about the sermon. And they weren't sermon related. They were things that were frustrating me and people that were frustrating me. And really quickly I learned, you're turning tables over in my heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being the Lord, the King of this temple, and telling me things right now so that I can sit with you and receive from you. He's asking you, is there anything you just need to have off, leave off in the dump? That you've been, maybe it just pragmatically, practically, just like the money changers, and they just allowed to kind of creep in, and you're off or something that has messed with your life and relationships and you can't let it go and you got to release it. He's turning the table over and say, you take it. He's saying, what are you doing? Give it to me. This is good news right here in this, this crazy temple story. There's good news in it. A couple days from Monday on Friday, he's going to cry out. Instead of what are you doing, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. That's love. That's real love. That he would give himself for people who are killing him and don't even know what they're doing, thinking they're doing a good thing for God. Oh, man, when you take communion, that's a generous God. That's a generous God that has been generous to you, who's poured out his love for you, so that you can love him and you can be a house of prayer for the nations. You can go out and make a difference 
That's a good word. So as you take communion, thank him for that. And then just a simple prayer. It's a simple prayer. But a toughie. Is there, are there any tables you'd like to turn over in my own heart right now? And then sit down and receive what he has to teach you. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you that, that you're intense about not uh, letting us or letting your people continue on off course. That your desire for us to follow you and sit at your feet and have what you want to teach us, that what you want to give us, Lord, is so great that you won't let us stay uh, in our position. And so I pray, Lord, that now, first of all, we're going to give you, we give you this uh, back, <laughs> the gathering center to you. And uh, uh, Lord, we pray that um, you will use it, uh, use us to use it in a way that just brings you glory and that people in this valley uh, are touched by the orchard going out. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us and I pray that you speak to your people now. Thank you for the vision that you've given us and um, call us to it whenever you see us. Uh, drifting. And Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us uh, as individuals. If there's anything that you want to turn over and take out, reveal that and bring healing to us. In Jesus' name, amen.